And you can open with me to Ephesians chapter 4, studying today verses 25 to 29. Ephesians 4, 25 to 29. And when you get there, you can stand with me for the reading of the Word of God this morning. Therefore, putting away lying, Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you so much for the privilege that it is to gather in your name and to be changed and challenged by your word and to be impacted by the grace that you give us, God. We pray that today you would work in our hearts, that you would move in a mighty way. Uh, Lord, draw us closer to you. Lord, we continue to pray for all those who are sick or hurting among us, Lord. We continue to pray for Bob Voorhees. We pray for healing for him, Lord, for comfort, for strength, for you to work in his heart, Lord, in his life, that he might draw closer to you. Lord, we we continue to pray for Beth and we continue to pray for Greg. Lord, bring healing. Lord, and there's others. I pray for Ken. Uh, Lord, I pray for others who are sick. Uh, Lord, we pray for all those who are suffering, going through hurt, going through loss, going through pain. Lord, would you heal those wounds, heal the brokenhearted. And Lord, just uh, bring grace and peace our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Of course, today we continue our study in Ephesians, uh, picking up here in chapter 4. As we've been studying through chapter 4, so much about the life of the church, the expectations of the church, and the purposes of the church, uh, the challenges that there are within the church, and, and, and for the believer, uh, the challenges that there are for the believer. Last week, leaving off with this idea, okay, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. And that's where we pick up in verse 25 as it says, Therefore, being that it's there for a reason, and it's a transition word from verse 24 into 25, a, a transition from the previous section as we looked at the old man and the old nature and the old way of living the darkness, the blindness, and the disturbing nature of sin, truly. Remember I talked about the dead squirrel in the wall of my house and how disgusting that was? Well, that's the picture that we get of how gross, how disgusting the old man, that old man is talking about death and decay. 
and now putting on the new man, which is new life. And, and Paul writes much about this, not just in Ephesians, but in other letters as well, of, of talking about walking in newness of life. And, and if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And what that newness looks like is what we're now going to get further into today. A little bit more of the practicalities, a little bit more of the specifics of what are we to put off and what are we to put on? It's, it's helpful to say put off the old man, that representation of the sin, the death, the decay, and now put on the new man. Well, now Paul's like, I'm not going to leave you at that. Let me spell it out for you. And I, I appreciate that because I'm a guy who often needs things to be spelled out for me. Let's make it plain. I appreciate that Paul is making it plain for plain people like me. And so that's what he's doing. This is what the new man should look like. This is what it looks like to put off the old man. Here are some of the old ways, the old nature, the old man that you need to put off, and here are the new things that we should be adding to our faith and putting on. Uh, here's how a new creation should look and act and talk, and that's some of the things we're going to get into. So really what he is saying here, since, be, since or, or because... Uh, you have put off your old nature and put on the new nature through relationship with Jesus Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit, you should look different, act different, and talk different. It will be the natural response. And this is a challenge to ourselves as believers and a challenge to the church as a whole. What do we look like? What do we act like? What do we sound like? And that's what Paul begins to get into. These are the things Verses 25 through 29 that we should put off and put on. First of all, he says, put away lying. Now, putting away lying is putting off lying, right? And it seems odd to have to tell the church to stop lying, right? I mean, this is basic Ten Commandments here. You know, thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And we look at that, we think that's pretty basic, but yet Paul says to the church, those who are a new creation in Christ, you have to actually do the hard work of putting off the lying ways. Because in our lying ways, this is all the old man. This is the old ways. This is the old nature. And this is what we easily can get caught up in. And so even though it's, basic Ten Commandments, it's easy that we find ourselves caught up in lies. And honestly, oftentimes we'll find ourselves in these places and you'll find people getting caught up in lies because of self-preservation uh, or a difficult circumstance, right? People think, man, I'm going to be in trouble, but if I just twist this a little bit into my own version, then maybe I could solve the trouble. I could deter the trouble, pass it off to somebody else, blame somebody else. Think of a little kid. I did not have to teach any one of my four kids how to lie. It came naturally. Did you do that? No, really. I remember when they were really little, I think Hannah was like five, Michael was like four, then Caleb would have been two, Maddie was a baby, and we just moved into our, our house, and uh, in the backyard, there's the spigot. The spigot, at some point, water was turned on. And I didn't know it was running. We weren't spending time over on that side of the yard. I go out there one day, and I'm like, oh, no. 
how long has this been running? And so now I got a five-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a baby. The baby's obviously, she didn't, she was a newborn at the time. So she's out of the picture. I'm like, I'm sitting down my five-year-old first, Hannah. What happened? And we're going through, and, and, and I felt like she was lying to me. I didn't do it, right? And I'm like, no, I know she had to have turned this faucet on, and it's running for two. I'm like, you're not in trouble. Just tell me what happened. She's like, I don't know. Michael did it. Oh, okay. So, Michael, now let's talk. It's like, I don't know what happened. Hannah did it. Like, well, Hannah said you did it. And it's going back and forth. It turns out neither one of them did it. It turns out there was like some friends over and somebody, somebody turned it on and it happened, whatever. We had a well, it's okay. It didn't cost me too much money. But <laughs> no big deal. But they automatically went to, I don't know. Oh, yeah, Hannah did. I saw Hannah do it. That's what Michael, I saw her do it. Really? <laughs> Hannah, Michael says he saw you do it. What? No, I saw Michael do it. They didn't see, neither of them saw that happen, but yet they went right to the, just coming up with something to try to deter, try self-preservation. I didn't have to teach them this. Five years old, four years old, they came up with the story. And we have, anybody's got kids, you know there's the stories. Did you do this? No. I, did you brush your teeth? How about that one, parents? Did you brush your teeth? Yeah, of course I did. Come here. Let me do the smell test, right? Did you, they take a shower. Did you wash your hair? Yeah, of course I washed my hair. Mm. Okay, come here. I really did, I promise, I promise. No, you didn't. Go, you know, and so you go through the, the process here and you gotta go in the shower again and actually clean yourself in the shower. It would have been better if you just washed your hair in the first place, right? But that's the reality is I didn't have to try to convince them that this is a way of self-preservation. And it's not, truly, because it's actually more destructive than it is helpful. And lying grieves the Holy Spirit. And we find ourselves easily, we can get caught up in things that are twisting the truth for self-preservation. Or because we're in a difficult circumstance. Or we'll just twist things and tell a little white lies so that it could benefit us a little bit more. But this grieves the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, John chapter 15, verse 26, says, But when the Helper comes, to whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The, Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And so when we're, we're caught up in lying, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Further, we know that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So we have the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth. We have Jesus who is, in fact, the truth. And then we have the devil who is the father of lies. So there's a clear contrast here, right? Therefore, what Paul is saying, we must put off, it's not just lies. We think, oh, it's harmless. A little white lie, it's harmless. It's not going to affect anybody. No big deal. I'm just trying to take care of things and do this and move this around and do that. This is what people do. But the reality is, here's what Paul is saying. Therefore, put off the work of the devil. Not just a little thing. Not just a little white lie. Put off the work of the devil. 
Further here, Paul says, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Now, this is a quote from Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, where Zechariah is speaking truth to bring restoration to a Jewish remnant after the exile. And so in that position, he's like, what's going, God gives him this revelation, what's going to bring hope to people? What is going to restore a nation? The truth. The truth is going to restore people. It's going to restore lives. It's going to restore these exiled people. It's going to what? bring people together. And what, are, what have we been talking about in Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 3, we talked about the wall of separation that was between Jew and Gentile that Jesus, by his blood, tore down. And made a way for the Jew and Gentile to have fellowship together. And now here, we're talking about, Paul quotes Zechariah to say, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor. Let's speak truth to bring restoration of relationship between people. Because the truth restores and lies are destructive. To not just people, to the body of Christ. Bringing insignificance to the truth of the gospel. That's what lies do. Because the devil is trying to bring doubt. The father of lies. So he can bring forth destruction. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The truth is to bring change. To combat the lies of the enemy. The truth helps to restore and build up. Lies are destructive, and they could tear down the body of Christ. Verse 26, then, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Be angry and do not sin. The translation indicates a positive command, a positive statement to say, he doesn't say don't be angry. He says be angry, but do not sin. The positive command is to say that anger is real and natural and there are things worth being angry about. But do not sin. In that statement, Paul is saying anger is natural, anger, anger is real. There are things worth being angry about, but don't sin in your anger. He's challenging the motive of our anger. Is the anger out of our own selfishness, our own selfish ambitions? And we get angry because somebody has, has wronged us or done something uh, that, that is just upsets us or hits our pride in a, one way or another? Anger fueled by the old man is sinful and destructive. But anger fueled by the new man, fueled by the Holy Spirit, Anger over some form of injustice or unrighteousness. That's righteous anger. Anger, for example, over millions of babies aborted in our nation is righteous anger. Anger over the indoctrination of our kids in America in regard to sexuality and gender. That's righteous anger. Jesus said it's better that a millstone be hung around your neck and cast into the sea than to cause a young one to stumble. What are we doing 
that is allowing the young ones to stumble, causing young ones to stumble in our nation and even in our communities and even in our homes. What are we allowing to cause them to stumble? That should make us angry. That's righteous anger. And there's many other things which are worth getting angry over. Jesus turned over the tables. Jesus made a whip and drove out the money changers in the temple. It wasn't because he was just happy with them and wanted to say, hey guys, move it along. No, he was angry. And, and the fact that he made a whip meant that he had a plan. He's, he was on the side watching this. Like, you know what? Let me make this whip. Let me drive them out. Because this is not going to happen in my father's house. He was angry. And he drove them out in anger. Righteous anger. Jesus approves anger over such in unrighteous ways. That doesn't mean we're supposed to go make a whip. Okay? And start just charging at people. Listen! That was Jesus, right? He was perfect in all of his ways. And he had a way in which he approached things and, and he was able to still be perfectly uh, wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. And that's what we pray for, we seek for. But there are things that are worth being angry over. But it says, do not sin in your anger. The word to sin simply means to miss the mark. So what Paul is saying is, be angry, because you're going to be, you should be, over righteous or unrighteousness, over injustice, you should be angry over these things, but don't cross the line. Keep your anger under control. Control your anger, and recognize here too, the placement of these things in the text. First, we have a challenge to speak the truth, right? To put off the lying, to control our tongue. And now, the challenge is to control your anger. If we're fueled by anger, by the old ways, the old nature, the old man, our words will be destructive. We will tear down the church rather than build it up. And then further, he gives some direction. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, the, the idea of wrath here indicates that we should not provoke, right? If you are angry for righteous reasons, do not provoke people and do not prolong your anger is what Paul is bringing up here. Don't let the sun go down. And don't let your wrath, don't, don't provoke people in your anger. Don't carry on. And don't carry out some sort of wrath taking judgment into your own hands. Settle it. Let calm follow the storm. Sometimes we, we get angry and then we're all stirred up. And then we just got to hold on to it. And we're just <clears throat> more angry and more angry. And we're not allowing ourselves to get over it. But you see, Paul addresses so many things throughout Ephesians in the, in the way that we interact with one another in the church and that we need to settle things. And if we're angry for righteous reason, we can address it, we can settle it, and we can settle down. 
don't carry it on. Especially not within the church because it will be destructive to the body of Christ. We need to let calm follow the storm. And we, we make sure not to carry our anger on or our wrath on so that we don't hinder our fellowship with God. If you're struggling and you're harboring anger or bitterness in your heart toward another, toward a brother or sister, and then you try to go to the Lord in prayer, what is our prayer going to be focused on? Lord, you just need to take care of that person. You need to wipe them out. You need to, you need to make them suffer somehow, right? That's, our prayers are going to be hindered. We're going to have some trouble. But if we can settle it, and we can get ourselves over it, then we don't have that difficulty in fellowship with God. Pray for that person. Pray for the interaction to be godly, to be spirit-led. We don't want to hinder our fellowship with God, so we need to settle things. Verse 27 nor give place to the devil. This is connected here, right? So he's, he, what he's challenging us, put off lying, which would give place to the devil if we're caught up in lies. Do, be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. If we do, we're gonna give place to the devil. Lying, fleshly anger gives the devil a foothold in the church. And in our lives, and it divides the church. False witness divides the church. And the devil is working so hard to divide and to accuse. When we get caught up in these accusations against others in the church, that is oftentimes false accusation. We're, we're making assumptions about other people and it's harmful to the body of Christ. That's the work of the devil. Listen, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, 11 says, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. The work of the devil is accusing the brethren. He is the accuser of the brethren, but... We overcome by the blood of the lamb, by the word of our testimony, by truth. Reminding ourselves of the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. The blood of Christ is the truth. And we need to be reminded of that. We are to maintain the unity of the body of Christ under the blood of Christ. So a believer walking in the newness of life is no longer fooled by the lies and the destructive and divisive ways of the devil, but recognizing the devil is accusing and is the accuser of the brethren, is trying to divide the church, but we have the combat against it, the blood of the lamb and the word 
of our testimony. That testimony is the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. His blood, redemption, how he has changed us and transformed us. That's the word of our testimony. In that, we give no place, no ground, no opportunity to the devil. And that is living triumphantly. Don't give place to the devil. Verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let him who who stole steal no longer, no more. Let the new man be totally redeemed and totally restored. Speaking of the idea of a thief or a criminal that might now find honest employment. This is reform, right? True reform comes through newness of life. When we might talk about in our nation, we need prison reform. We need Jesus. True reform comes through the newness of life, putting on the new man. Also further, even thinking of the idea of a a cutthroat corporate mentality and the idea of cheating another out of another dollar. Whatever you can get out of somebody else. It's a take mentality that Paul is addressing. And Paul's saying now that you're saved in the newness of life, the new man works hard and makes an honest living not trying to cheat somebody else, not a a thief, but completely reformed and making an honest wage, not for your own gain. Now that you're saved, work hard. And of course, you need to provide for your family, for yourself, But the perspective of the new man would be to work hard for the benefit of the body of Christ and to bless those who are in need. That's a challenge to us in the American culture. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness has become the pursuit of more money. That's what we've become all about. And whatever it takes to just get a little bit more money. Not for our own gain, not for selfish gain, but for the benefit of the body of Christ, for the glorification of God, to bless those who are in need, is the perspective of the new man. And he says that they would labor. Let him who steals steal no Uh, longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. This is good to work hard. That labor is working with their hands, working hard, uh, getting your hands dirty, so to speak, not being afraid of some good hard work. It's good to do it. It, it, There's good exercise in it. it. Makes you think, gets you active. We live in a society today that honors the white collar worker. Now, there's nothing wrong with your white-collar jobs. But this is the society. We honor the white-collar worker. The Bible often honors the manual laborer. 
and gives actually great life lessons and examples through manual labor. Talking about farming and talking about you know, sowing seeds and talking about even soldiers or, or you know, those who are working through things. There's honor given to that in Scripture and examples that we learn from that in Scripture. In fact, it was common practice in the Jewish culture for all men to learn a trade. Even if they wanted to become a teacher or a rabbi, they still would all learn a trade of some sort. There's great value in that. There's nothing wrong with working hard. It's a valuable thing to us. And further, it is for the benefit of the body. Verse 29, Then let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. No corrupt word. Now Paul brings it back to kind of the start of this passage as he addressed the lying. Now he brings it further in in speaking about taming the tongue, truly. Right? Put off the lying and put off the corrupt speaking. Now those are all in relation to what comes out of our mouth, which can be very, very destructive. And James says it very well in James chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, you could flip over there with me for a moment. We're going to be in uh, several verses here in James chapter 3, verses 2 to 10. He says this, For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, also able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is, it is set on fire by hell, as we talked about, by hell, by the work of the devil. That's the fire of the tongue, the destructive nature of the tongue, the lies of the devil. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth we proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. This is such a passionate plea from James. My brethren, These things ought not be so. The things that come out of the mouths of the church is bad sometimes. And we need to watch what we say. There's the old song, right? Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Something like that. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. You get the idea. 
It's a, it's a simple children's Sunday school song, but the reality is so true. Our words have such impact, and it can be, our tongue can be so destructive within the body of Christ. It can be destructive to people, and it can actually be destructive to the body Right? As James says, the tongue is so set among the members that it defiles the whole body. We're speaking of the church. The church, the body of Christ, can be working so beautifully and working so hard and in harmony together, but the tongue? Now, that's nobody's spiritual gift, the tongue. Right? We're not saying, oh, I'm the tongue. I am called to be the tongue in the church. No, he's saying the tongue is dangerous. It is fire, and the fire is set by hell. The devil is lying, and the lies of the devil is what comes out. But it's so set among the whole body that it can destroy. It can bring division among the body to the point where the devil can just sit eating his popcorn, watching the show, enjoying the show. Because through the words that we speak, we could be destroying the body of Christ. We, we have the old saying, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's straight up false. We might try to say, I've got thick skin and but words will never hurt me. Words cut deep. And we might put on a good front that words, we're not gonna allow words to hurt us, but they cut deep. And the Bible actually tells us that words can be destructive to the body of Christ. And with it, we bless our God and we curse men. We curse men who are made in the image of God. So what are we doing? We are cursing the image of God. Guys, the tongue is powerful. James says, these things ought not be so. Cursing and blessing, they shouldn't go hand in hand. Especially within the church. Speaking of the new man, if your heart is right, character will be right, conduct will be right, and conversation will be right. Now he says, let no corrupt word. The word corrupt means rotten, bad, putrid, those are great words. They, they give you a good picture. With their, all their negativity, you're like, ooh, putrid. Like the dead squirrel, right? That's corruption. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. This type of speech should be unthinkable for the believer. And here's what will happen. It will destroy our testimony. And if we destroy our testimony, we are harming the body of Christ. If we destroy our testimony, are we remembering Revelation chapter 12 that says we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb by the word of our testimony, by the words that come out of our mouth. And how do we bless God and curse another? We are tearing down our testimony, which is tearing down the body of Christ. A major caution here from Paul on how we're to conduct ourselves and how we speak. Does profanity come out? A couple weeks ago, 
I took my boys to a Yankee game. And we're sitting there, and there's many words in the vocabulary of people at a professional sporting event um, that my kids have never heard before. And I prefer it that way, uh, but here we are. And I'm kind of just thinking they won't know what's going on, right? They don't know these words. They don't know what any of these words mean. And my younger son, Caleb, he had no clue what was going on other than the baseball game right in front of him. And my son, Michael, after the game was like, man. And there was people behind us, and they were not really loud and obnoxious, but you could hear some words that they were saying. And I'm like, oh, Lord, just silence them. And they ended up leaving by like the fourth inning, so praise the Lord. God answered my prayer. But after the game, we're getting the car, or we're walking back to the car, and Michael's like, man, those guys were unbelievable behind us. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, the stuff they were saying. What were they saying? No, oh, they were bad words. You're right. And I'm like, have you ever heard those words? No, I don't know. I never heard them before. I said, it's interesting that the Spirit of God in you would indicate that those are putrid, corrupt words. Because of relationship with Jesus Christ, my son is like, that's disgusting. He's 11 years old, but praise the Lord that he doesn't know those words, but he knows that, that that's bad. And he looked at it as a disgusting, putrid thing. Those are corrupt words coming out of the mouth of the world. But guys, some of you, the church, some of us in the church, need to keep ourselves in check. Some of those corrupt words may come out of some of your mouths. Paul says, no, guys, let no corrupt words. James says, let it not be so. We should not sound like the world. When we sound like the world, we welcome fellowship with the world. And so what we're trying to do is actually bring fellowship between light and darkness, which is not possible. Because God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But that's what we do. When we start acting like the world and talking like the world, we're then trying to bring this fellowship together somehow between us and the world. It's not possible. Think of Peter when he denied Jesus. Once he started cursing and swearing, what happened? He was sounding like the rest of them. And they backed off. You're one of his followers. No, I'm not. You're one of his followers. And then he goes further, doubles down, starts cursing, and then they back off and think, no, I guess he's not one of the followers of Jesus. Because we would never, even the world would not associate a follower of Jesus with such corrupt speech. But here's what our words are useful for. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearer. What is good for necessary edification? On the contrary, this is what should proceed out. Good things. Good things for necessary edification. Not corrupt or evil or destructive because edification is necessary to the body of Christ. We need to be built up, right? Right? 
and we need to build one another up. We do that with our words. As destructive as the tongue can be, it can also be amazingly edifying, is what Paul is saying. Hey, let's walk in that newness of life as a new creation, a new man, and let our words build up the church rather than tear down the church. We should walk away from a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ and have encouraged them and ourselves also be encouraged. That's our purpose. That's what our words are for, to edify. We need encouragement and we need to encourage others. We do that with our words. He says that we impart grace to the hearers. If we're using our words to edify and to encourage, then we're imparting grace. We're giving the grace of God to the body of Christ. Let our words be seasoned with grace so that we can speak the truth in love. Speaking words of life, building up the church rather than tearing down the church. We need grace and we need to give grace. So there's three things in this verse, right? We need edification. We need to be built up and we need to build one another up. We need encouragement and we need to encourage one another. We need grace and we need to give grace to one another. Let our words be edifying encouraging and full of grace that the body of Christ might be built up, that the body of Christ might draw closer to Jesus because of the words of grace, because they're understanding the grace of God more through the words that we offer one another. You see, again, this is what the built life groups give us opportunity for, is to speak words of life to one another, edifying and encouraging and giving grace, imparting grace to the body of Christ around us. We want to draw closer to Jesus through words of grace so that we may all grow in grace. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the challenges of your word. And Lord, would you just keep our hearts in check? Lord, bring us to a place of renewing our minds even now and help us to identify the things of our conduct and of our speech that we need to put off. Lead us, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might walk in that newness of life. Maybe you're here today and you, have, you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, which is where it's all going to start. We can expect more corrupt things to come out of our mouths. We can expect anger. We can expect lying apart from Christ. But Paul writes, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. That is an opportunity that we have, every single one of us, to make a choice to give our lives to Jesus and follow Jesus.